Hello and welcome back to Week by Week, a podcast about the experience of motherhood. I'm Celeste and I am currently 18 weeks pregnant. On this episode, I'll give a quick pregnancy update with my husband, Dave Hill, and later on we have an awesome interview with Kelly Daly. So here we go. This has been a week where (laughs) my nipples are almost always hard now from just being pregnant. And when I get cold, they like really sting. So it like goes from just like being hard and like having some sensitivity to them really stinging when I'm cold to the point where it's like I can't have anything touching them and they just need to warm up, I guess. I don't know what that is. It must be hormones and blood flow. I looked into why your nipples might hurt during pregnancy, and according to AmericanPregnancy.org, here's what I found. Hormones in your body are preparing your breasts for lactation. The milk ducts are growing and being stretched as they fill with milk early in pregnancy. All this causes your breasts to be more sensitive, particularly your nipples. This might cause discomfort. And then it goes on to talk about colostrum, which is the pre-milk or it's a sweet and watery fluid that's easy to digest. During your second trimester, your breasts begin to produce colostrum. Colostrum appears thick and yellow at first, and as the baby draws near, it might become pale and almost colorless. Colostrum will provide your baby with his first few meals as your milk comes in. A discharge may occur at any time when your breasts are massaged or when sexually stimulated. There's no need to be alarmed if that happens, and there's no need to worry if it doesn't. Women who do not experience discharge in pregnancy still produce milk for their baby. And while we're on the subject of breasts, I'm going to just run down the list of some of the changes that you might experience during pregnancy. Growth and enlargement, tenderness and hypersensitivity, darkening of nipples and areolas, darkening veins along your breasts due to the increased blood supply to your breasts. Your breasts might start leaking yellowish thick substance known as colostrum just talked about. Nipples stick out more and areola and nipples will grow larger. Small glands on the surface of the areola may become raised bumps. There's some info about breasts. That's been a fun symptom that has gotten more aggressive. I think it's gotten more painful when I've gotten cold in the last like week or so. And we've been having actual spring here in Los Angeles, so it's actually been cold and rainy. I mean... I guess trying to find occasionally the silver linings from this whole situation and the clean air both for the world and just environmental health and you know all of our health but also for growing a baby right now when the pollution is down in LA is probably not the worst scenario Everything else is upgrade. Compared to everything <laughs> yes. else being the worst scenario. Well, I said silver linings. I, I didn't say like, this is actually good. Let's keep this going for a while. I know. I really wanted a cake this week. <laughs> Are you looking at my I transitions? Mean, the segues of this show, you could, you just turn on a dime. Oh, well, and my I, this brain is, this is, is why I want to be a part of it. I tried to make a single serving cake. In the toaster oven. Mm -hmm. Didn't work. She said, I'm going to make a baby cake. And the first part of it, I was like, I'm going to make a baby. I was like, you've done that already. (laughs) But but then she added cake. Yes. And it was. I have not eaten it yet, but I just like cut it so I could put jam because I want a raspberry cake. So I put jam in the middle of it. And it looks like a little flat gluten-free English muffin. (laughs) It's in the fridge right now. It's disappointing. And as they would say in Great British Bake Off, it's a very close crumb 
Uh, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> but it was a first attempt, so. As I would say, a great British big up, she's like, oh, you, you must be disappointed in yourself. You really let yourself down there. You really let yourself down there. Let's just say I did not get a handshake from Paul Hollywood on oh. this one. Oh, Flora. Flora, what, what are, are you, you doing? doing, Flora? What are you doing? Oh, Flora. We need a new season on Netflix right now. Uh, this is actually my season. petition podcast. <laughs> oh, I just oh got so God. hot. I'm wearing my bathrobe because obviously it's the middle of the day, but I still wear my bathrobe around the house all day. Because and... mm-hmm. I, I demand it. That's what I like. That's what me likes. (laughs) I love when he refers to himself as me. Uh, Yeah, a nice to the ankles bathrobe. Mm -hmm. That really obscure shape. And just as But now that that's off. I know, that's what I was going to transition to in a more natural transition. I got a bump this week. Baby got bumped. Baby got bumped. It started obviously a couple weeks ago, but it really feels like wabam now. It's hard to ignore. It's it's wabam. It is a definite wabam situation. Now when I, like I went on a walk this morning and as I was on the walk, I find myself just rubbing my belly because I just am so happy to like have something to hold on to. And I just wonder, I still don't know if it looks as defined as like this woman is pregnant that like if people just think I'm like really hungry and rubbing my stomach as I'm walking around like a cartoon character. Yeah, I'm sure with everything going on that's, <laughs> that's what they're wondering. They're like who's that cartoon character who's walking cartoon down the street? cartoon character that's very hungry. Very hungry cartoon character. Who's got X's in their eyeballs. The really cool thing from this week was I think we actually felt him two days out of this week kicking from my stomach from putting mm-hmm. my hand on my stomach And the first time it happened, I was like, um, I think something's happening. And I had this whole plan of like, I'm going to take a video of Dave the first time he feels the baby kicking. But I was so caught off guard because it felt earlier than I was expecting that I called Dave in and I was like, I don't know if it's going to happen again. And he put his hand on my stomach and it happened again. Mm -hmm. And then the next morning too. It was so cool. It's really special. It is. So that is the highlight, I think, mm-hmm. of this week so far. And a little kicker man in there. A little kicker man. He loves to move kicker around. Man. Kicker man. That's a uh, middle name we're floating around, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we're not seeing him until week 20. So we have a little while before we see him next. It's so nice to start to be able to feel him and... Just, yeah, between the growing stomach, stomach, <laughs> stomach, belly. You didn't mean stomach and tummy? No, I meant stomach and belly. Because <laughs> tummy is already an abbreviation of stomach. Yeah, yeah. Stummy, stummy. I bet stummy came before tummy, but etymology fans come at, come at me. <laughs> come at me, bro. <laughs> to sound more inviting but it really I just immediately went to an aggressive place and that's just where I am I guess speaking of aggressive I felt a little bit more emotional in terms of like closer to tears this week than I have felt I think since early pregnancy probably since around when the bleed started Mm because I think I don't know if it's a combination of just energy going other places or just being very fearful of doing anything to disrupt the equilibrium but yeah I feel that's been an emotional side of this Mm -hmm. week 
Let's take my handy dandy book and take a look at what size he is. He's a sweet potato this week. Mmm, little sweet potato boy. Little sweet potato man. And he is five and a half inches long and about six ounces. I love, sweet potato is so cute to mm. me. I love that. That look, yeah. That's what I can actually visualize because when it's all these round fruits, I'm like, so my baby is a tomato. My baby has eyes. It's just like, <laughs> I just like superimpose my baby over what fruit or yeah. vegetable it is. Yeah. So sweet potato, I'm like, oh, that's sort of human-like. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. <laughs> He's practicing sucking and swallowing amniotic fluid so to prepare for feeding after being born, mm-hmm. which is good. Fingerprints are forming. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Can't commit any crimes now. That's what I keep telling him. That baby's got to be on the straight and narrow now. He could have been he could have been doing all sorts of shenanigans, but not now. Not now. Sorry. You missed your chance. <laughs> <laughs> it says to make sure to get you're getting extra calcium and fiber in your diet. I feel like I've been very good about fiber because I tend to eat a very fibrous diet. <laughs> oh, you're really coming off really full of yourself this week. Yeah, full I don't of know fiber. What that's all about <laughs> But oh wow. oh wow. I I probably could do some research uh, this coming week about how to add a little bit more calcium into my diet because I am dairy free in my diet. So the kind of usual association of how you add calcium to your diet does not apply. And I know you can get it other places, but off the top of my head, I'm having a hard time thinking about what I would add. So Mm, none in almond milk. I'm sure there's a little bit in almond milk. I just don't know Mm -hmm. how it, but I also think that some of the stuff about dairy is like you're not actually getting as much calcium as you think you are. Mm-hmm. Now all the dairy people are screaming. Dairy people, come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. <laughs> and it also mentions eating iron-rich foods since it, this says your blood volume increases by 50% during pregnancy. You are doing really well on like things like spinach. and. Yes, finally. Because and, at the uh, beginning, I was not a spinach. Yeah, greens I, were hard. Yeah. Let me Still can't with kale. Can't with kale. Ugh. But spinach has come back into the rotation. I really do like spinach, and it's just that first trimester was tricky, tricky. Mm-hmm. The view from the dad den <laughs> is that uh, it is incredible to watch you start to show mm. and how it's just another right there, right in front of my eyes, you know, visual representation of. This baby that's growing, it's pretty cool. It's pretty special. It's very beautiful to me. I love hearing that. I do really like looking in the mirror and seeing the little belly. Mm-hmm. It's really Catching special. her. It's not like we have a ton of mirrors in the house, but I'm catching her uh, checking herself out in the mirror. Oh, there's lot. a lot of belly checking going I'm on. I'm going to checking herself out in the mirror. <laughs> do you want to talk about how we are starting to think about names and stuff? Because we're not sharing the name that we have, or I guess we have two top names. But we sure have been testing out one of them. Yes. One of them seems pretty natural, and I I think unless we meet him and we're like, wow, oh, you're not no, this you're name, not this. then I think we're pretty locked and loaded on that name. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of special because it's one name that we sort of floated lightly, but it wasn't a name that we went into this pregnancy knowing or thinking about. Mm-hmm. Than you had a dream about. 
him being named that, which I is did. really sweet. I did. Love that. Me too. Yeah. Well, I guess that's my update. Talk to you later. Do you want to go have sex now? We're going to go have sex now and then take a walk. Our guest today is Kelly Daly. I loved having this conversation with her. She is the mother of a four and a half year old. She just recently finished her clinical training at the Center for Integrated Family Health Services and graduated from Pepperdine with a master's in psych. She is a successful co-parent, which we get into a little bit, and a Chicago native with a no bullshit approach to life and love. Enjoy this conversation, because I really did. Did you always want to be a mom, or was that something that came later for you, or kind of what was that process for you? I was never a person that was like, I need to be married, I need to have a family and live in the suburbs. I was like, I went to an art school, I thought I'd live in the middle of the city and kind of do my own thing forever. I, you know, was kind of living this like very fun, artsy in downtown Chicago. I thought it was so cool. And I was like, I never want to have kids. And I never babysat growing up. I like worked at a hair salon and I never had like any sort of interaction with small children. And so it was never a huge interest. And then once I got a little older and I got married and we had bought the house and I was sort of like, okay, I really am wanting to have a baby. Like all, it really was like mother nature kicking in. And that's kind of what it felt like to me. And again, it wasn't something that I was like aiming for or gunning for forever, but it was the best kind of instinctual decision that I feel like I, I started to make. And then I thought forever that it would be, it would take a little bit of time. And luckily, thank God, I had no kind of issues getting pregnant. And it happened within, I think, like the first month of us trying to conceive, which was sort of crazy. That's wild. Um, it's always surprising. Yeah. You're like, wait, what? I've spent my whole life I, trying I, not I, to get pregnant. Exactly. I was giving myself like a full year and I was like, it's going to, it's going to take some time. And then it was like, bam, he's here. So yeah, it's just, it, it happened. And like most of things, most of the things in my life, it kind of just, it happened at the right time and for the right reasons, I think. That's amazing. When you found out you were pregnant, do you remember what that was like? Or did you go straight and tell somebody, your partner or somebody, or what was that whole experience like? <laughs> this is sort of a funny story. I was at a bowling alley. First of all, it was like one of those old school bowling alleys where they still like had a great bar, like a dingy bar where you drink like bad beer and eat nachos and stuff. And so we were there with a group of friends. And I remember feeling like I didn't really want to have a drink, which is rare just nature working and I, and I was like why why don't I and I'm like I'm just gonna have like a club soda and lime and I went into the bathroom and I started to pee and I was like I'm totally pregnant I like knew before and it was like two weeks after we had like quote-unquote tried oh my goodness. and I was like I'm totally pregnant and I didn't tell my partner at the time but I had had of course like us people that are trying to conceive have mm-hmm. like all these stockpiles of pregnancy tests. And so I went in, I took a test and I was like, no shit. Oh. It was, and it was positive. And so it was, it was a shock to say the least. Like I said, I was anticipating it being a few more months and it was like, wham, bam, he was ready to come into this world. Oh my so, goodness. um, yeah. And it was really cool. And it was a, a very exciting sort of 
shocked but happy moment, which was nice. Yes. Yeah. I think I looked at my like eyes in the mirror and like did like the cheesy movie thing, but I was just like, what? I didn't know this was going to happen this fast. Yeah. Were you tracking your fertility and things like that? Well, in anticipation of it, or were you guys just kind of like, well, let's try for a little bit and see what happens. I had gotten off birth control about six months before I had been on birth control like my whole life, basically. And the same kind. I was I never had knock on wood like issues with it or any sort of bad side effects. So I just kinda kept rolling with it and stayed on it. And when I got off of it, it was like my body was like, What the fuck? Like what huh. is going on? So my hair started falling out. I started getting like acne. I just had all of these strange side effects from taking the hormones out of mm. my system, which is strange. And so it took me a while to kind of get my periods regulated back in my fertility sort of cycle to even like understand it basically. And then I had one of those trackers on my phone. So I had a vague idea of when I was ovulating and when I wasn't. But once I started feeling better and knew kind of the sign, you know, those wonderful signs of ovulation. (laughs) Right. The very attractive, very... (laughs) (laughs) the really the really wonderful bodily sensations (laughs) and various fluids that happen so once I started to notice that I could kind of track it myself and I was like I think we should do it tonight (laughs) and my doctors have sort of told me every other night as a rule of thumb Mm -hmm. but we weren't even having sex that often to be honest it just kind of one of those nights it must have happened. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, he just wanted to be yeah. in the world. He was like, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> and if you know him now, you understand how uh, he was. I mean, he's like the strongest, most persistent boy. So it's oh. like, of course, he was like knocking at the door. I know? love those like baked in personality things where you're like, yeah, oh. it makes sense. This is who you're meant to be. It makes total sense. He like came out of my body and I was like, you are going to be a lot of work. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Keep me on my toes. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, totally. What was your experience like being pregnant? Did you enjoy the experience? Did you hate the experience? Did you have cravings, aversions, complications? And kind of what was that general experience like for you? I think I had no expectation, which I am a crazy perfectionist and a planner and like OCD. And I thought for some reason I could kind of plan my way through this. And for the majority of my pregnancy, I did. And I felt really good. My first trimester, I was like nauseous, but I wasn't violently ill. I mean, I have girlfriends that like can't get off the bathroom floor. You know, I mean, it was totally doable. And my partner at the time, he was cast in a film that was going to be shooting in Vancouver for like a couple of months. So the middle of my pregnancy, he was gone. So my parents ended up moving in with me. Oh, that's amazing. And staying with me. And we were doing a home like remodel at the time. Oh. So I think there was just like a lot of stuff going on. I was just like, we need to finish the house so the baby can have a bedroom. <laughs> so I, I'm glad that I had like that kind of focus to take it away from like constantly obsessing about pregnancy. But I think I would have, if not. And honestly, like I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I was just, I was my doctor. I remember telling me, he's like, you're, you're good at being pregnant. Like you're pretty good. And I was like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> like, I don't know what how to take that, but thank you. I will take uh, the positive affirmation if you want to give it to me. I, yeah. That's what I said. I was like, okay. Um, I'm like, I am Irish. So we're like breeders. But, <laughs> um, 
but it was definitely a positive experience. And I would say in terms of complications and stuff, I feel so grateful that there was nothing major that had come up for any bed rest or anything. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. What about your birth story? Were you, was that pretty smooth as well? It's so funny because I feel like I was gifted a great pregnancy and a great birth story. And then post birth, it was like all hell had broken loose. <laughs> so if you want the real dirt, <laughs> I it's like do. After, he, after he came out, really. No, my birth story was it was totally chill. We delivered at Huntington Memorial in Pasadena, fantastic hospital. You know, I was, I think, almost two weeks behind. Mm. So they wanted to induce me. And I was like, just give them a little bit more time. I know like this will all kind of happen. And honestly, I went in for the induction and they were going, they were like giving me my IV and they were going to start the Pitocin and my water broke in the bed. That's incredible. So it was like, I was like, I think my water just broke. And they were like, oh shit, it did. Okay. We don't have to do any of this. And I was like, awesome. So I, it was, it was really nice. And we had, thank God again, so grateful to have like a really smooth birth. I delivered vaginally. It wasn't atrocious. I got a wonderful epidural, which I highly recommend. <laughs> yes, give me all of your tips. <laughs> yeah, and like it was really, really hard. And I labored for like, I think 18 hours. And then I was like, get me the drugs. And it, it reached a point where I was like, it's the point of no return. They're either like, you do it now or you're going to have to do this natural. Mm. And I was like, I don't know who I think I am like I'm getting the drugs and they they gave me the drugs I remember telling my anesthesiologist I thought he was so hot I was like I think you're so hot I love that (laughs) and my parents were like why is she because it's just like he was like my savior like he took me out of that pain so I I would have had sex with him (laughs) Um, you know where the savior complex develops when you're like oh I feel this animalistic pain and you're taking me away from this okay I was like I'll do anything for you (laughs) um I'm like don't you think I'm so hot I'm about to deliver um So I do remember that that poor man was probably like, what in the world? Although I'm sure he's seen and heard a million different crazy things. And loves it. Uh, he's like, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's like flexing at the corner. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, but other than that, that was all pretty smooth sailing. When shit hit the fan, it was day two. So I had just kind of, like I said, a, a traditional like vaginal birth. I had a slight tearing that needed to heal. And they keep you, I think now like one to two days at the most. And mm. they kind of boot you out the second day if you're looking good. But that night, one of those nights, cause it's all sort of a blur. Jasper started to have latch issues, mm. breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And they had the lactation consultant come in and he started kind of screaming. And that was sort of the start of the colic baby. Mm. <laughs> and, I, getting back to my point of like planning and organizing and preparing life and like as prepped as I thought I was, that honestly was like the one thing I didn't think of. And I looked at my husband at the time and I was like, oh my God, he's going to be colicky. Like I I can already, I just know. Mm -hmm. And he, from that night, and I don't want to scare you, but until he was about six months old. Wow. (laughs) Until he screamed from that night until he was about six months old. Wow. And what do you do to navigate that? Or I just, I don't know much about how you actually handle that in the throes of it. 
You don't. It's like you lose <laughs> <Okay>. your mind. <laughs> I I think I honestly still have PTSD from it, and I hate overusing that diagnosis, but I really do. Oh, I'm um, sure. Between the hormones was, and the like, experience you just went through, and then it's your child. Oh, oh, it was it was insane. And now, thank God, I was connected about a month into a bunch of other moms that also had colicky babies, and that was through a friend. And I would just call them and cry. In the middle of the night, it would be three in the morning, and he would scream for like two hours straight. And I would just be like, I'm going to lose my mind. How am I going to do this? So it was... It was challenging to say the least. Again, I think I was just so sort of like shocked and appalled Mm -hmm. at the fact that I was not prepared for this in any kind of way. And I think the worst part of it is that there's no way to go through it, but to go through it. Mm. And that's it. There's no magical potion or swing or baby machine that will take that away, unfortunately. And I bought them all. So (laughs) I attempted to take it away, but it really was just kind of really hard. That sounds very hard. When you were in the throes of it, how did you personally stay sane or get, you know, like, is it crying to a friend? Is it taking a break when you're about to lose your mind? How do you stay sort of sane? Well, it's, it's a lot of different things and you have to keep switching them up. It's almost like dealing with a colicky baby. It's like you have to keep switching things up to try to see what works mm. because I had a personal therapist that I had a great relationship with prior to being pregnant and I continued seeing her throughout my pregnancy and then post. And she had a lot of experience with afterbirth and sort of dealing with postpartum and all of that. And so I stayed in contact with her, but with a new baby, it's nearly impossible to like get out of the house and drive to a therapy appointment Mm -hmm. for an hour. You know what I mean? Especially in the beginning. So I would do phone calls with her when I knew that I was really kind of on the verge. And this is what I kind of want to normalize, if anything. And even moms without colicky babies, it's like, if you have the thought of like, what the hell did I do? And is this baby broken? And did I give birth to Satan? (laughs) And like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm so fucking lost and confused and incompetent. And like, all of those thoughts are normal. Mm. (laughs) Like, I just wish somebody would have given me permission to have them. Yes. And it's like, I feel like so many people are like, this is the most peaceful and joyous time. And I do think there are babies that are really chill and that have chill parents and, you know, that come out and that are little bundles of like love and joy. And then I think there's like, you know, on the normative scale, like other versions, absolutely, (laughs) other versions of that. And I I think that's where everybody gets sort of hung up on is the fact that like we're supposed to be blissed out and peaceful and wearing like, you know, linen robes and like breastfeeding all day. And it's like, no, you're fucking wiped and exhausted and disgusting and bleeding. And at the same time, questioning every decision that you're making and so completely unaware of like what is right and what is wrong. And I think this pertains to a lot to more like first time moms than Mm -hmm. second time because now I think I do it a lot different. But the first time around, you know, you really are so clueless unless you have people that are there with you to help you all the time. But I feel like in LA, so many people are disconnected from their where they initially grew up and from their extended family and stuff. It's like, these are the times where you need a lot of people around you to just take 
the baby from you so you can take a shower and so you can get it together a little bit or have a big cry. I would, I would just cry in the shower. Mm. That was my thing. I would sit and just cry and be like, I just need to sit in here for a minute and like, let it all out. So honestly, that was one of them. I think talking to people helped a lot and finding other people with a similar sort of outlook and voice that didn't shame me and my feelings for feeling that way about my newborn and feeling that way about motherhood because the other I think like the third prong of this is like not only are you uncertain but also there's like a grief process that starts to take place and it's sort of grieving who you were and what life you had and your own selfish interests because now there's something literally suckling and or hanging on you at all moments. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But if you don't take into account or factor in the grief and entering into a new phase of life, I think that kind of sneaks up on a lot of people too. Yeah, I'm so fascinated by that side because I think you're right. That is such an under-talked about thing, both all of the feelings that come up and also just the grief alone of it's okay to long for when you could just completely do things on your own schedule and be on your own and, you know, go do whatever you want to do. When that came up for you, how did you create enough space for you to have those moments of grief and then kind of go back to like, okay, but now I'm back to mom or like shut out some of the stuff that society is saying of like, this is, you know, put your flower crown on and your linen dress and like (laughs) everything is easy and like breathe in the love of your child. Like, is it just continuing to like the list you said of like reaching out to people and being okay with like taking a second to cry and that kind of stuff? Yeah. There was one night in particular that I remember And at the time, my husband had to leave to go and work a few different jobs. So it was just Jasper and I, my son and I. And it was sort of in the middle of him being the worst at his colleague stage. And I remember I had been up for like 24 hours straight. It was some absurd number with like intermittent, like an hour here, an hour there, but like no consecutive, like three hours of sleep. And that's kind of the state where you start to lose it. Basically (laughs) that's like when, you know, when they torture prisoners, they (laughs) sleep deprivation. And I, and I remember I was lying in the bed and he was crying for like, and it was, it had to be like early, early morning, like four or five in the morning. And I just remember being like, I don't think I can get up. Like, I don't think that I can get up and take care of this baby and put my feet on the ground and walk into his room and do this all over again. And it was like, Something in the depths of my soul, like beneath where I even thought bottom was, like reached up and was like, you are going to get up. Wow. (laughs) Pushed me out of bed and I was able to do it. And I really go back to that moment. Like whenever I have like something that I'm scared of or that's difficult, I always go back to that moment because I'm like, we are so much stronger and so much more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And I thought I was on empty. I thought I was done. I thought I couldn't do this. I was like, he's just going to have to lay in there and cry and we're both going to die. And like, <laughs> that's going to be it. There really is like there, there's a bottom, you know, below the bottom. There's like another reserve of resiliency and strength. And so I think getting to that point pushing forward through that. And then knowing I could do that, I, from that point, I was able to tell myself like, this is just temporary and this is going to suck, 
for a very, you know, a short amount of time in retrospect and in the grand scheme of things. And so I just need to plow through it. And once I was able to kind of get there, then I could kind of start to move forward. But it was trudging through that space for a while where I was like, is this how my life is going to be? Is this kid going to scream forever? Like, Mm -hmm. what have I done to this baby? And why (laughs) am I such a bad mom? Mm -hmm. And why am I broken? And why is he broken? And, you know, so many of those questions of like, why do people, (laughs) the other question was like, why the fuck do people have children? Why do people do this? Yes. This is torture. (laughs) I was like, this is insanity. Like I have driven myself to the brink of a psychosis here. And, And I'm like, and people just sign up for this and want to do this all the time. Again, I think I had a very polarized experience comparative to other children, but but yeah, I think it just went back to like, I called people crying and that was sort of the biggest thing. And then I had really good girlfriends that would drop off food. Your husband would drop off food. For me. <laughs> he, he had to deal with me crying in the kitchen a couple of times. Oh, he's good um, at helping with that. Yeah, yeah he was so <laughs> sweet my close inner circle of people here in LA. And then my mom would come and stay with me and then she would go and come back as much as she could. But it really was sort of like, you can have a lot of people around you, but you have to mentally get to a place where you're like, this is temporary Mm -hmm. and I will make it through this. And it's just going to hurt and suck for a little bit. And then it'll be better. And like, that's kind of what happened. And I, and I kind of now approach many kid phases that way. It's going to suck for a little bit, but we'll make it through. I don't know. It's not eloquent, but that's No, it's great. I mean, it's it, to me, I just think of like, oh, you're kind of practicing just mindfulness in a way that also feels like it's not like reaching nirvana. It's just like practical. It's like, yeah, yes. this moment is like shitty or uncomfortable and I am not resisting it. So I'm in it. I'm accepting as best as possible. And then like I can move on and like have the next moment and know it's not totally. forever. Totally. And if I had any idea about mindfulness at that time, it would have been that I had, I just didn't have a lot of knowledge about like meditation and sort of trying to be present or even just, you know, my therapist always has to remind me like, it's okay to just be okay. Like you don't have to be filled with joy and you don't have to be in the pit of despair. Like it's okay to just have an existence of being fine for a little while. And I think we all, I'm just such a pusher that I push for being like, why am I not happy? All of this in motherhood and child rearing and having kids is just so much about letting go. And it's very hard. (laughs) Yes. Well, especially I think you referred to yourself as a perfectionist and I'm definitely a perfectionist. So that's, I feel like that's the place where it will bump up immediately where you're like, well, my perfectionist agenda is going to go out the fucking window because... Yes. I, I mean, and you try to, you try to hang on to it like tooth and nail. Like I remember having the vision of being like, I feel like I'm hanging off of the side of a cliff with my nails dug in. Like uh, I can't let go of this control. Yes. And the kid just pulls you down. <laughs> <laughs> you have no other choice. Well, it'll be a good, at least like immersive experience in evolution, I guess, for myself of being like, well, this is not going to serve me anymore. Not that being a perfectionist is particularly fun anyway and something that I would like to keep always. And I, that's, I'm also fearful of teaching my son that because I don't think that that's a good trait to pass on to somebody. So that's something like, probably you'll just have it. I know. (laughs) That's like the nature versus nurture thing where it's like, Dave and I have both been like, okay, we can be pretty type A and pretty like 
failure adverse and uh-huh. how do you and I'm like ordering all the books of like the gift of failure and like yes. the gift of imperfections <laughs> and like personal and childhood or like my mindful parenting or something and just being yeah, like what can yeah. I do you're approaching it in the best way it's like the best way to combat any sort of anxiety is to be aware of it and to name it and to kind of you know have a label on it and know where it's coming from and that way it sort of tampers it down a little bit and also the idea that like you know you don't want him to be failure averse it's like then you go the other way and it's like watch you'll be like this kid isn't motivated <laughs> right <laughs> we need to get him to like school like, what the hell like you can't it's fail always- at everything and be totally cool like that's just it's not so- the way it's gonna happen yeah so true you're like what did we create here <laughs> it's just so it's so funny how a lot of it and we're all so lucky and in the position of being able to parent this way mm-hmm. i mean it's it's truly such a gift and it's such an opportunity to be able to take the time to read these kinds of books and have mm-hmm. great medical care and have access to therapists if we need them. And, you know, all of this stuff, it's like the majority of children don't have parents that are this way. So, you know, it's, I think going in and being mindful and then also kind of reading how the personality of your kids, Yes, I mean, how your son will be. And, and that's going to kind of change the game a lot too. So it'll be fun. Yes. I've heard a lot of like, don't love the child you wish you had, love the child you have. And like, I'm very curious to see what his personality is and like what actually just comes from him. Like we were saying with your son, like this was in him, this was baked into the cake. And so like, it'll be really cool just to see what, what actually emerges and probably frustrating it sometimes and being like, wait, where did this come from? Yeah. And, and the coolest thing now is that having this you know, I always called him a crazy baby. I was like, he was a crazy baby. (laughs) And having that first six months be so hard in a lot of ways, it made him getting older and him now talking and him sort of developing into who he is. He's four and a half now. Mm. It's gotten so much sweeter. And I feel like I appreciate it so much. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like when he first started to chill out after he had started to outgrow the colic, and I do honestly think it was attributed to a milk allergy, just mm, for reference. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I ended up switching this formula to a goat's milk formula, and I stopped breastfeeding altogether because I was on every diet and an elimination diet and was driving myself crazy doing that shit, too. Oh. So just, like, put him on fucking formula. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And he was, like, a new baby after that. Wow. And I wish, somebody, I wish I just would have started it months earlier. Um but again, the narrative that we're sold is like breast is best and right. we have to kill ourselves in order to feed our baby and all of this stuff. So that's a whole other can of worms. Oh but my gosh, yeah. he started on that formula and changed and now he's grown into, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a four and a half year old boy. He's like <laughs> a wild child. But the stuff that was coming out of him as a baby being like strong willed and persistent and, you know, mm-hmm. all of those sorts of qualities have now translated into him older, but they're cool now. Ugh. I mean, sometimes they're really annoying. And sure. horrible, but, <laughs> but now he's, but now I'm like, wow, if he really wants to do something, he's like super determined and very consistent and he loves a routine. And, you know, it's like all of these sorts of things, you know, like you said, baked into a cake are now going to be cool parts of who he becomes, oh, I which I, that. which I love. That's so exciting. Yeah. Off of that, what was your kind of thought and mentality of raising a boy? Because I know what it was like to grow up as a girl. And I know that gender is evolving and all of that. But there's also, I feel mm-hmm. like certain things, 
especially now that like I would like to try to impart on my son as I grow the next generation of men. How have you thought about raising a boy? Oh God, that's such a good question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, and as sort of a psychotherapist or in training, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to kind of have that perspective of things now because I see sort of a plethora of and or a range of how boys are raised and or behave. Mm -hmm. I think when I started out, I was raised in a family of girls and we, it's all girls. It's all women. We're, we talk constantly. We're all gossipy. We're all dramatic. Like it's very, (laughs) it's a lot, you know, and we're all very close. And I, and when I found out I was having a boy, I was like, what am I going to do with him? Like, I don't even know how to do this. And I approached it as I want to see who he is and see kind of what he's into. Is he going to be artsy? Is he going to want to be an actor? You know, because mm-hmm. his dad and I were actors at the time. And I was like, oh, God, is he going to come out like singing show tunes? I have no <laughs> idea. Or is he going to be into sports? And I kind of I knew I wanted to sort of wait and see in terms of that. But in terms of like infancy to now toddlerdom, I would say I read this book called The Wonder of Boys Mm. when I was pregnant. It's by Michael Gerian. And it was written a while ago. I think it was written in the 80s. So pre-gender awareness, gender fluidity, all of that. But it just kind of spoke a lot about the diff- like the actual physiological differences and biological differences between boys and girls and their brains. It gets into a lot of like how the mechanism in the ear is different in boys' huh. brains versus girls. That's incredible. So typically it's harder for boys to hear like when, you know, a mom is nagging them per se, where girls are a little bit more attuned to that. One of the biggest takeaways I had had was if you want to talk about something serious with your little boy, and this goes into, he said, from toddler into teenage into 20s, is that they should always be doing something physical when you're trying to have an emotional conversation. Wow. So whether like going for a walk or like building Legos, or they should be doing something that engages their physical aspect of their brain or tactile aspect of their brain in order to kind of break the emotional wall. Otherwise, they immediately kind of close up. And again, this is like boy to boy, obviously. But the overall kind of consensus would be that they found that that's to be the most helpful. And in my therapeutic work, that seems to really translate as well. So uh, there's something to that. That is so, I'm definitely going to pick up that book. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's not as PC again nowadays, but I think some of his major takeaway stuff is is very cool and still like is applicable. Absolutely. Yeah, it feels like you can know how to read it through the lens of when it was written and then also be like, oh, this is seems like it's still, if this is how his brain is functioning, there's probably something to this point. Yes. Exactly. And mix that in with a little like mindfulness and, you know, Dan Siegel and all of that stuff. It's like, you'd be great. You could just round it all out. That's incredible. I'm so curious how your work has translated into, have you evolved some of your own mindsets on how you parent or has it kind of married or do you keep some of that separate? Like, I guess, what does that integration look like? I only think it's helped, honestly. I feel like there is sort of the paranoia of knowing too many statistics now. Right. (laughs) And knowing too many characteristics of like the problem children and, you know, the conduct disorder child and that sort of thing. But having the knowledge and now, especially because 
the majority of the work I do is with kids and teens. It's like seeing firsthand what is normal versus what's not, mm. I guess. And I hate using the word normal, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm using that in the, in the terms of like a range, mm-hmm. but I had, again, never been around that many children. So I didn't know. I was like, what is going on with my kid? Like, is his toddler tantrums, are these normal? Like, are these, do other kids do this? Like, what am I doing wrong? And so it has helped in that way of kind of giving me perspective, mm. I think, a little bit. That's and nice. now just knowing sort of different tips and tools of like bottom-up processing and like Tina Bryson and Dan Siegel are like my two, you know, it's like my Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. <laughs> <laughs> Which we were watching that documentary yesterday. I, I was like, that's fresh on the brain right now, so that's why I'm referencing it. Which is so good. Oh my God, it's so Um, good. And I am not a sports person. And I'm still like, why am I so invested? And you're still so into the story. Yes. It's such a great story. But no, Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson are, and they actually have a center in Pasadena for kids. Mm. And they are kind of like the MVPs sort of working with children's brains and psychologically and mindfulness and kind of all of that stuff combined. So I think getting all of that information has totally helped me understand Jasper and his moods more. That's amazing. And I'm just putting it together now. I ordered and have started reading Parenting from the Inside Out. Yes. That, yes, that was highly recommended to me. And now I'm just like finally putting the pieces together. So I was like, how do I yeah, know yeah, this yeah. name? But yeah. And then, and then The Whole Brainchild is their other book. And that's really great too. Oh, great. I will add that to the list because this is where you see the type A perfectionist come yeah, out where I'm just like, like, I just need to read everything. And you're like, let me add it to my book list. No, you should. These are all good ones. That's great. Yeah. Are you able to find ways to implement mindfulness in the way that you interact with him? Or do you model it? Or kind of how does that integration work? That's a great question. I think it's the, I think modeling it is huge. And it's now backfired on me because when I get upset now, he asks me to calm down and take deep breaths. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Which is like crazy. I'm like, could you be any more of an LA baby? <laughs> um, or we'll t- we'll talk about like wind down time. So he doesn't nap anymore. So we need sort of a time in the middle of the day, especially now being jailed in quarantine. Yes, where we give ourselves sort of like a minute or two where we kind of take deep breaths and I hug him and sort of touch his body and get him back into his body. Mm. And he sort of grounds himself a little more. And I'm using those terms now, but it's not kind of what I say. I usually ask him like, they call it somatic questioning. So you say, where do you feel like this in your body? And how does your tummy feel right now? And how is your heart beating? And are your palms sweaty? And so you kind of take them through almost like a bit of a guided meditation. Mm. And it's just kind of brings him down a little bit. And I've found I do that a lot in my sessions when I'm in person with them mainly because I'm just doing telehealth right now. So it's a little bit harder, but in my sessions, I'll have them take their shoes off and have like their socks on and make them wiggle their feet and kind of start from like toe up to top of their head Mm. and kind of calm each part of their body down. So just stuff like that. I mean, he's not, you know, sitting in in prayer position and doing, you know, guided meditations (laughs) at this point, but hopefully one day, who knows? That's Um, incredible. And also to have that level of body awareness, like of where do I feel my anxiety and being able to have a label to that and like have more understanding of like rage is not just something that comes over me and now I can't focus. It's like, I know where I feel rage and now I know how to healthfully like move through that idea. Or that totally. feeling. 
Totally. And like, you know, it's hard for him to control his temper sometimes, mm-hmm. like all of us, but Absolutely. I, I want to teach him sort of self-regulation now. And that's sort of the knowledge where like my work overlaps in mothering mm-hmm. where who knows if that's is going to bite me in the ass later on. He'll probably be like, my mom's this annoying therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, and I just wish you would have slapped me or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like the total well, grass way. is always greener. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But sort of self-regulating and then if he is feeling angry to give him like three options to like get it out so he can like hit a pillow stomp his feet scream into a pillow like stuff like that so So he can like let it out and let it loose yes just like a safe environment anger is not bad hurting someone because you're angry is bad like figuring out how to kind of yeah and my god he's gonna be such an emotionally intelligent person I hope I hope (laughs) I hope so. We'll see. I mean, I thought he was going to come out singing show tunes and he is a bro. He's like a frat bro. <laughs> so um, it's going to be interesting. Like he's like, I just want to hit some baseballs and crush some beers. Oh like, that's my the God. the type of personality right now. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Which is equally terrifying. I don't know. I'm like, oh. I'm still like, um, can I play enough show tunes while he's in the womb to get him to harmonize with me when he's <laughs> yeah. little? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Keep doing it. <laughs> seriously. Can I ask you a little bit about your experience with co-parenting? I'm curious of how you, in terms of your parenting, how that's affected how you think about parenting or how you guys work together. And also, I, I think it was like John Gottman study about like the satisfaction going down in your marriage. Potentially. I love the Gottmans. I love the Gottmans. Yes, yes. I love. We have the principles of making a marriage work. Seven principles. Yep. And now I think I ordered the other one because obviously I'm just going to have a stack of books. But a lot of what he says is like how you work together as a team is like a huge influence and in how much satisfaction mm-hmm. you have in the aftermath. But I'm very curious about that because the romantic partnership is obviously a big component that can get lost inside of this whole experience. So if you don't mind just speaking on that a little bit. Well, first of all, I think you're referencing like the greatest source for marital satisfaction are the Gottmans. I'm actually going to go and get Gottman certified once I have my license um, to become like a full-on couples Gottman therapist. I wish... I would have known about them and their principles and the four horsemen starting out in life. (laughs) I don't think it would have made a difference in my marriage, unfortunately, but I do think just having sort of that mindset kind of going in is really important. And they speak so much to understanding that like your satisfaction is going to like is going to tank for a while and then it's going to rebound and mm-hmm. come back up. And I think making sure that like both of your expectations are low and that you're not going to be, why aren't we in this honeymoon phase and why aren't we having sex all the time? And what does this mean? And all of that kind of thought that yeah. can really like really taint a lot of your vision of like that time after having a newborn. So I'm so glad you're doing that. (laughs) But the co-parenting thing is kind of, it's weird. It's sort of like another version of how nobody discusses the newborn phase. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we all know the divorce, right? We all sort of know the stats on this and that a lot of people that are married now are not going to be married later. Mm -hmm. And in my case, 
we, I feel like I had and do have like the greatest ex-husband in the world. Um, and, and we have the greatest divorce in the world. We didn't have a great marriage. (laughs) We had the greatest divorce and, and it's kind of cool because we were both ready to be done and we both kept Jasper at the forefront of it all. And I will say, I think we both did a very good job of setting aside our egos and I will, I'll commend Matt to uh, all the day long of just being able to like remain calm and to remain kind of, you know, active and an active participant and an active and willing co-parent in all of this. And of course, like we're divorced. So of course we're going to have like things that drive each other drive us crazy about one another. Like that's going to be there, Yeah. but that's the same in a marriage. Any you relationship. Know? Like it really, yeah. Any relationship is there's going to be that shit that's there still, but he had come from a nasty divorce and I came from parents that have, that are still married. And he was like, I'm not going to be my dad. And I was like, thank you. Like, and, and I said, you know, I just want our son to know us in a way that we are not enemies mm-hmm. and that we can go to all of his games and that we can, be there for him equally and that we're a united front just in different houses. And so that's kind of how it's, I mean, I'm literally knocking on wood. (laughs) I don't want it to ever be different, but we've kind of evolved into this very funny, very modern, like family of sorts. Matt's been really great. He's not like, he's an actor. He's a successful working actor. So it's like, he's not touting himself as the child therapist. So a lot of Mm -hmm. times he's like, what do we do with this? Like, what are we, how are we supposed to parent this? Or like, you know, him, his manners are correcting his, some of his behavior and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I'm like, how does this plan sound? And we kind of both collaborate on a plan and I'm like, okay, you need to keep it consistent at your house. I need to keep it consistent at mine. And yes, there's going to be flubs and yes, people are going to kind of do their own thing. But like, for the most part, we're on the same page. And so far that's been really good too. Like Jasper's the type of kid that he will sense and he will sniff out if there's shit going on. (laughs) He always knows. He'll sniff it out and he'll be like, are you mad at dad or is daddy mad at you? And Mm -hmm. I did this at dad's house or I'm doing this at mommy's house. And, and I'm just like, you know, and we both kind of have to just be like, this is what dad does. This is what mom does. And these are the rules for you across the board. You can't be a jerk, but yeah. How have you handled bringing in? Cause it sounds like you've, I, well, it doesn't sound like I'm going to not speak. Like I don't know you, you have actively brought in people really successfully. How have you handled like how they parent your kids or involve themselves in the parenting process and that integration? It is, it's, bonkers how and again knocking on wood like how grateful I am that this has kind of worked out the way it has and especially with dating and when we were first sort of separating and breaking up and going through all of the divorce stuff which was hard and so emotional we were both like how are we going to do this and it was funny too because we did a mediation and we would kind of talk to each other about how we were going to date, like while we were going through mediation. (laughs) And it was very funny because I remember being like, can we just not introduce anyone to Jasper until like, like there needs to be some kind of an approval process Mm. going on. And I was like, and God knows the actresses out there. (laughs) 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 Um, I was 
which is, but I was more like, can we just keep Jasper out of it? You do what you need to do privately. I will do, but I've been in like the throes of school and I just, dating was not on the forefront of my mind. And honestly, I don't think it was on math either. Like he wanted to just work and mm-hmm. kind of keep himself busy. But when that did sort of start to come up, I was like, no meeting children until later. It's amazing and it's so cool because it, it seems like from what I've seen that Kevin is so hands-on. We can bleep names too if you don't want names in there. Oh, no, but, he's fine. He's fine. Um, so hands-on and so loving and so integrated. And just to be able to also add that component, I'm so curious of how you've handled that so well. Again, we had no idea how this was going to work. And Matt had met his now fiance prior to me and Kevin meeting and getting serious and all of that. So it was kind of like, I knew that was on the horizon, but I had no idea that I meeting Kevin would turn into sort of this evolved relationship that we're in now. He was like a single dude living in Los Feliz, like (laughs) not looking to hook up with like a recent divorcee and her toddler, you know? So it was definitely strange. I think at first I had no idea what I was doing. There's no rule book for this, which is like my goal is to one day kind of create a co-parenting workbook or something. Um, But it was more just like this idea of, I want to take things super, super slow. He was on the same page. That was great. And then when we were both like, oh, we don't want to date anybody else. And like, this is moving forward. He started to meet Jasper very casually And he had never been around a bunch of kids either. So he was Mm. kind of in the same boat as me. Like, you know, he's one of two kids and never babysat, you know, grew up on a farm in Texas and was just like, whoa, he's like a small child. And I was like, yeah, dude, (laughs) (laughs) like buckle up. But he, I don't know. It was like, and I always make fun of him. I'm like, it's like, he's been waiting to be a suburban dad his whole life. Like he's just. He loves this whole lifestyle. And he was like, I love making dinner for us. And like, I love sitting outside with you and having a glass of wine. And then we go to sleep at 10 o'clock. Like, this is like ideal for him. What a dream. (laughs) Isn't that so attractive too? When you see somebody who you're like, oh, you have your shit together and you like actively, like, I think seeing Dave with kids is like, for me, I'm just like, oh my God, my heart, my ovaries. Yes. And I did not even ask him to kind of get into this role. And he sort of just, it organically happened that way. And I think the good thing too about him and Matt's fiance is that they kind of really respect their positions. And I don't like to say their positions Mm -hmm. and that kind of connotation, but they're like, she's not trying to be Jasper's mom and Kevin's not trying to be Jasper's dad. Like they're trying to be like these extra like help for us yeah, and like helping raise him and different perspectives and sort of like he, I feel like Jasper gets out of them different things that he would for just Matt and I. So, and we all like, honestly, tomorrow we're all having dinner together at our house. Oh, that's and so, so cool. Yeah. And Kevin's cooking like, you know, Kristen eats like a pescatarian. So he's like making this whole meal for her. And I was like, this is hilarious. And Jasper's like, my family dinner party. And oh. I was like, yeah, that's what we're doing. So it's very sweet. And again, I think rare, but possible. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, again, respect and boundaries. And yeah. also, yeah, you guys have amazingly seemed to take a lot of ego out of it from both the partners coming in and from, you know, 
your ex dating and bringing people in or asserting control, you know, or whatever. And that I can only imagine would be very challenging because it it is an emotionally loaded scenario. And it seems like you guys have really navigated it beautifully. Yeah, I think the first time I remember Matt had posted a photo of like him, Kristen, his fiance and and Jasper. And I got like six different texts about being like, does that make you upset? How do you feel? And I was like, no, honestly, I'm like, if I could pick a stepmom for him, it would be her. And I was like, she's amazing. And I think the way that her and I kind of communicate and how our personalities work is helpful. Like I'm also kind of solid in the fact that like nobody can take my place with Jasper and you know, all of that. So I think it's just like a lot of, yeah, ego checking and sort of remaining kind of grounded. I don't want to sound cheesy, but it really is sort of that. And also like Matt and I are so much better friends. Like we're better now than we ever were married. And hopefully Jasper will understand that. It's a challenge, but I think the main thing, I mean, you're going to be such an awesome mom and you and Dave are such a solid couple. And I think just the awareness factor that's here and sort of, you know, the, the psycho ed and self-educating each other and yourself is, is huge. All I can tell you is just keep expectations low and just ride it out because it's going to be shitty for a little bit and then it'll be good. That's amazing. And again, thank you so much for talking with me. It's been truly, truly, really wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Week by Week. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And follow me on Instagram at Week by Week Podcast. Check out the show notes for additional resources I used or referenced during this episode. This podcast was produced during the COVID-19 pandemic and recorded remotely. Our show today was produced by me, Celeste Busa, and Dave Hill, and edited by Douglas Sarine and Colleen Beasley. Week by Week is a Gumption Pictures production.